0: This show is made possible by our Patreon supporters. To get access to our exclusive content and support the show, visit www.patreon.com forward slash eabbpodcast. That's www.patreon.com forward slash eabbpodcast. Thanks.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. My name is Chris Trano, and I'm joined always by Stephen Canastresi. Hi. Oh, that sounded like a, such a sad hi this time.
0: Oh, it, it wasn't meant to be sad.
1: Or sad Are you sounding. in a good mood today, Stephen?
0: I'm in a great mood today. We That's just true. had our first interview since, what did we say, August, maybe? Yeah, it's been a <laughs> long time.
1: We, we did a really good job at uh, loading up those recordings, and then uh, you and I both got jobs. <laughs> right. Yeah, So fell a little bit behind, but this was a really fun way to get back into it. This is episode 47 and today we're interviewing Kenneth Surface. Ken Surface is the founder and director of the Antebellum Marine Band and he is also a reenactor who frequently portrays President and General Ulysses S. Grant. It was a lot of fun getting to speak with Ken today, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. I also noticed about halfway through the interview that I was using the wrong microphone and switched it over. So just in case the microphone quality at the beginning of the episode is not so great, I apologize. It will hopefully improve about halfway through. Steven.
0: Yeah, good good interview, good stories, and, and good information uh, in here. So we really think you'll enjoy it. As always, if you like what you're hearing, you can support the show. Uh, on patreon and teespring those are the two platforms for monetary support if you will but then always a like and a share and and a message on any social media platform goes a long way Uh, and we're also on youtube we have a youtube channel we put up every episode uh, as well as some other stuff chris is starting to put uh well not starting is continuing to put uh movie scenes up there that feature early american brass band and some other content that's just up on our youtube page uh, so you can go subscribe there that would really help us out a lot too so lots of ways to support the show if you like what you're hearing and we think you'll like this episode so here it is
1: Like to welcome Kenneth Surface to the show, Kenneth. Thank you so much for coming on to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. How are you doing?
2: Fine, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. Super excited to have you on and getting to talk about all the uh, the projects you do, both in the the music scene and the the history scene, and the combination of the two. So we're very excited for that. Uh, Stephen and I were talking before the show, and we're thinking about kind of. Starting this interview with maybe a broader question, we were wondering, kind of taking the the first major step back, and then I'm sure the details will get filled in as we go along. What got you into reenacting as Ulysses S. Grant specifically?
2: Well, my fascination with Grant goes back to when I was eight. I was uh, home home in third grade. We lived in Hellertown, PA. I was home from school with chicken pox, (laughs) and the homework had been getting sent home, And from what I understand, from what the kids told me, my class, our teacher had laid out biographies of various great Americans on a table and all the kids had to pick one. And whether she picked it for me or if it was the last one left, I'll never know. But uh, the story of Ulysses S. Grant by Jeanette C. Nolan was sent home and with a little note saying, read this book. It's called a biography and we'll be doing a report on it. And Mm -hmm. that is on the shelves right behind me. Two shelves, fifty-seven books about U.S. Grant. That is, as is in a military ceremony, right of the line and place of honor is that first book, and all the other books in my in my library. And uh-huh. just being a, being a band kid, you know, growing up with everybody teasing you and ridiculing you for being a band kid, yeah. that really stuck with me because with Grant, he was, uh, you know, he was already breaking horses at age eight. Uh-huh. So it struck me like, wow, he he got he was good at something right away. And his friends teased him about it because they weren't good at it. You know, so that made me relate to to his experience as a kid. It served as a great way to just deal with it because it's like, well, you know what? He dealt with it and look where it took him. So I can tough this out, you know, and if I get really good at it, who knows where it'll take me. And kind of that inspiration always carried me as a kid growing up. And it carried me through my Marine Corps time, too.
1: Wow, that's awesome. In the Marine Corps, were you a musician
2: in the Marine Corps? Yeah, I was, tuba, I was a tuba player, MOS tuba player, and at that time, bass players had to be, you were a tuba major and a bass minor. If you came in playing bass, you had to learn tuba as your minor. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, that was uh, that was the MOS. Is that still uh, standard now? Yeah, there's a separate MOS for bass players now. They don't have okay. to minor, on, you know, tuba players are, are gleefully happy they don't have to minor on bass.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are there any instruments that uh, currently need to kind of do that doubling? Certain woodwinds.
2: Yeah. Like saxes and flute, you know, because your fingerings are, you know, can relate. Um, If you're, if you're an MOS sax player, it's, it's all, it's all of them that you're expected to be able to play, you know, from, you know, you'll, you might settle in as a tenor specialist in the big band, but you're more important on alto for marching band or what have you. You know, so somebody actually can play a a soprano sax and cool. You're the guy we're going to call for that, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it works out that way. But uh, as far, I expected because I played bass trombone in jazz band in high school. I expected I'd get to play bass bone, you know, in the Marine Corps. And they were yeah. like, yeah, don't worry about that so much, you know, because all the trombone players like back off. I'm playing bass.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> so so was I reading that book that got you hooked in history or did you kind of already have that history bug circling uh, around? before I was that? Book?
2: kind of, you know, kind of into history because um, I was 73. And, um, you know, consider what was on TV at that time, you know, for entertainment, you know, obviously cartoons as a kid, but a lot of 60s TV shows were on all the time. So Hogan's Heroes was on, McHale's Navy, uh, F Troop was on, and those, those the military shows appealed to me, and then particularly F Troop, and then I got a little older and I, I discovered Wild Wild West, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I've also been a train aficionado since I can remember. Oh, cool. So, you know, uh, trains and then Civil War trains, and I, I you know, in all the reading, and then Grant is on Wild Wild West. So then I'm more curious about it, and I'm reading Civil War books, and I'm reading about Civil War railroads, you know, and I'm just putting all these things together, and I'm just indulging all that history at the same time. <laughs>
0: So when, when did you start uh, dipping your toe into into reenacting? Did that coincide uh, with your time in the Marines, or uh,
2: a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I I had seen reenacting. Uh, in fact, the last my, my senior year before going to boot camp, it was May. Um, I had already had I had a, a working brass quintet in my last two years of high school. We we played weddings and little community college ceremonies here and there, and we would always play in, in the Lehigh Valley Mall at Christmas time. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, there was somebody there from the Sons of Union veterans who heard us playing at Christmas time, and he got the idea that we could be his band to play their ceremonies in May when they went around like Memorial Day weekend. Hmm. So, uh, my oldest brother had played drums in high school and he had a marching snare on a sling so he went out and he played a drum thing for these old guys to march into the cemetery mm-hmm. and our quintet was there at the side and we played a couple civil war tunes so i started seeing these guys in, in civil war uniforms you know mm-hmm. i'd been to gettysburg in uh, fourth grade as a cub scout i was already indulged with the, the grand fascination i had battle cry of freedom board game the yeah. time life series on the civil war i had built the monitor in merrimack Ship models, you know. So I was all into the whole thing, and then I saw these guys in uniform. I was like, "Oh, that is just way cool!" <laughs> you know. Then I just got, then I learned what reenacting is, and I'm thinking, "Well, that'll be fun to do when I'm old enough." Yeah. And I was always around it, uh, being posted where I was in the Marine Corps. I was in I was stationed at Paris Island after the School of Music, so I was in South Carolina, and then I reenlisted. I moved to Quantico, Virginia. So then I'm mm-hmm. right around, you know. And and our show band at Quantico would play at Manassas. Oh, cool. So I'm around Civil War Battlefields. The School of Music is in Norfolk. So I'm around, you know, and I'm right there going Hampton Roads, Monitor Merrimack. I built those models, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's already kind of hovering on the edges. Um, when I was at Camp Lejeune, uh, 2000 to 2000, uh, well, not yeah, 99 to 2001, uh, the first time I got involved with reenacting, obviously in the South, they like, they like playing rebel more than they like playing Yankee. So it's hard to find people in blue. And I was like, there's no way I'm putting gray on, you know, yeah. <laughs> all these guys, all these Johnnies are like, this is great. We got somebody to shoot at every yeah, great. every <laughs> So I, You know, that was my, my introduction. Here's a musket. Here was, here's how we use it. Put the sack coat on. Um, my final tour was at camp Pendleton. So I got sent, uh, back out to San Diego. I had been there before previous. My daughter was growing up there. So I was going to retire out there. And, um, I'm getting ready to check in in January, 2002 at Camp Pendleton, to the first Marine division band. And I'm living in Escondido. And I go to this little club where I'd always, uh, it's a coffee house. I used to visit there when I was recruiting in Escondido and they had a poster up for uh, a civil war band that was forming.
3: Huh.
2: And it was uh, the man in charge is David Powell, who began the thing he called it the second cavalry, a uh, second us cavalry brass band. And he was part of the American Civil War Society, the ACWS in, in Southern California. So they were going to meet at this club, this, this place called The Metaphor. And it was like, bring your instruments, you know, my musical experience is, is uh, desired. So I show up with my tuba and I'm all fired up. And this guy's like, where have you been my entire life? Because, you know, he's, <laughs> he's put music in front of me and I'm playing everything. He's, you know, I've been in the Marine Corps how many years at this point? Yeah. We really stress being able to sight read you know i've i've been, i've you know i started playing tuba when i was 6 and 7 mm-hmm. so i'm all about playing and you know and i'm like throw me anything i want to read it i want to play it so he's like yeah you're in my band and you know why don't you come out to our fir- the first event of the year uh we'll we'll have a uniform for you so then i got introduced to how that all works watching reenactors you know doing everything i was there spe- specifically to do the band thing yeah. i wasn't involved with carrying a musket or anything and he was with a cavalry troop Run by a a former Marine officer, so I bonded with that guy, you know. And and, uh, they kind of harbored our little band. We had like eight players, Mm -hmm. and we were reading the Mark Elrod uh, brass band book for for the gigs. And everything is so bone dry, you know. You know, it's route five four for tuba. Oh, you might get you might get a passing tone here or there. So the parts are so bland, and I'm I'm like, okay, if this is how it's going to be every time, I'm going to die, you know. From what I want to play, that's that's got a little more meat on it. So mm-hmm. I'm asking him, like, why can't we get some of the marine band stuff? You know, they played they played opera stuff. He goes, Well, we're we're supposed to model ourselves on a on a cavalry band. So we'd be really basic and it'd be musicians who can play one instrument or another. In case somebody goes down, they can pick the other horn up. And you know, so I'm learning about how brass band scoring goes. I'm learning how how the how the army bands were real rudimentary because that's what they that's all they needed. And I'm starting to go. Well, I'm starting to look at it like, well, the Marine band would be much more interesting. But mm. you know, I'm still in the Corps at this point. I got two years to retire. Um, mm. First Marine Division got involved with uh, going to Iraq, and of course, I was involved with the workups and even getting everybody to go. And then I retired in 2004 in the middle of all that. I was I was wow. permitted to retire. Um, they didn't need gunnies any. You know, they wanted they wanted junior troops at that point. So mm. um, I walked away from uh the reenacting at that point because for those last two years i was on active duty i was in the second u.s cavalry not just in his brass band but i i I had a carbine and i'm in a shell jacket and i was one of the legit regular troopers you know and i was having a great time being a private again Mm -hmm. because that's all i had to do was show up and fire my musket and you know my carbine and do my thing and then go play in the band so we were still using uh modern instruments some of us i mean i have my tuba i've been playing since since uh I bought it from the Lehigh Valley youth symphony in 1984 and it's a rotary vinyl, four valve, uh, rotary B flat vinyl. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I was like, okay, maybe I'll save up and get an over the shoulder tuba at some point, but yeah. okay, if I get more serious. So I retired, I wanted to finish my degree. Cause I want I wanted to be a music teacher. Mm-hmm. So I put everything aside like that and just nosed in to get my GE done. And I had done some music stuff. The school of music band leader course was a credible to, uh, your BA you know so I was looking at doing all these different things so I walked away from the reenacting stuff for about two years and I wanted to get back in but I didn't want to do the cavalry stuff anymore and I was really bored with this band because it was all we're still playing the same 10 Civil War top 10 tunes out of the Elrod book I you're not playing anything else and I had been I had been bad, a band leader in, in the Marines, and one of our duties is arranging and writing. So I started mm-hmm. scoring my own stuff. Nice. I mean, I would battle him in the Republic. Well, I think I want to add this to it. I think I want to add. And I remember Dave was always telling me you can't embellish it that much because those kinds of things weren't done yet. I'm like, oh yeah, you you look at look at the Marine Band Library. They were look at the uh, the Gilmore Band. You know these these guys were playing some some intense stuff. Yeah. They weren't just playing real rudimentary and he said, "Well, then you're going to have to be the Marine band." And I thought, "Okay, well what better guy to do that, right? Cuz I actually yeah. lived it." Yeah. So, what's that going to take? Well, red coats, <laughs> over the shoulder horns, uh, um Alexander clarinets, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. and I'm like, "Okay, so I see dollar signs just piling up, you know, what it's going to take to do all that." Definitely. Um I had known and, you, and you'll know his name too. I, I had already met Yari Villanueva uh, when I was in the Corps. Mm-hmm. When I was at Lejeune mm-hmm. as the band leader, I was buying music for our brass quintet. Mm-hmm. And Yari was in the Air Force band at that time, and he was selling uh, arrangements and things. So I was buying stuff from him, and we started a correspondence. And uh, by the time all this other stuff happens where I'm looking at creating my own band, Facebook starts. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Yari was already searching out like across the country – who's doing Civil War era brass band, you know, and I was in San Diego and he found me and we just started talking and then we're like, yeah, I think we did talk. I used to buy stuff from you when I was in the core, you know, so he was very encouraging. And he, you know, he said from the start, do your band. And I said, well, I'm going to need period horns. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need that. And he said, maybe you should just start it. At least you'll have it going and go from there. You know. And I, that was like, okay, you know, coming from a guy like him, who's in it, I'll I'll take that as as a as an encouragement. Cause uh, in the reenactor realm, like in regular reenacting, we meet so many people who might perceive you as some kind of threat to their their little kingdom, you know. Oh true. Yeah. You start your thing, and all of a sudden, oh no, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should do this over here instead. And Yari was definitely not that way. He wasn't in that reenactor realm that was protective of that kind of thing. And he's always been encouraging. So that was uh that was a great uh Confidence builder to even get yeah. the thing going.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, going back to you talking about embellishing the arrangements and stuff. I know when I was <laughs> going uh, – when I was doing the dissertation and going through different band manuals and stuff, I saw in the Dodworth Brass Band School that there is a small little sentence in there that says, uh, be sure to only play the music that's written on the page. Don't do any embellishing. If you want to <laughs> embellish the music, play a solo that features you instead. So like if nice. they had to have if they needed to have a disclaimer in the 1850s to tell musicians not to embellish the music, that means that there was the the temptation and the the ones that were already doing it, you know. Right. So So right. it's definitely there's guys, happening.
2: There's, there's guys with that mindset already. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe that was a, maybe that was already bred into me because I remember doing that stuff in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I would hear as the tuba player, I would hear like the trombones doing something. I was like I'm going to do that lick with them. You know, and the director yeah. would throw me to something like. And I'd nail it. And he'd be like, okay, you nailed it. At least you nailed it. If you tried it yeah. and failed, then no. Yeah. Uh, I have two or three band leaders like that in the Marine Corps. Hmm. If I didn't do something at a gig, they'd be like, hey, surface, what happened? You you didn't do it that time? It's like, oh, you like that?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Better <laughs> ask for so forgiveness, being,
2: right? <laughs> you know, um, And I I just stuck one time, uh, I was just goofing around before we played a gig where I was warming up and piccolos were all huddled up and they were doing the pick solo in Stars and Stripes. And I walked over and I went in their circle and I'm playing it with them. Nice. Classic. And we we started doing that. That started becoming a thing like, hey, we're going to play Stars and Stripes. Uh, Corporal surface, you're going to come out the first time and then go back and after the breakup strain, we're going to go back through and let the picks do it. Then we'll go out on the Grandioso. And that became like the thing we would always do. It became a thing with me in San Diego uh, between the, the Marine Band San Diego from the Recruit Depot. And uh, in my re- once I retired, I was uh, assistant director at Mesa College of the band there. And I had also uh, co-directed the City Guard Band in San Diego during my first tour from 91 to 94. And I'd always do the Pickle of Soul. And we'd always play it at the Oregon Pavilion in Balboa Park. So every year with the uh, the city guard and then the Marine Band, I would do it. So I was always at least twice a year in Balboa Park. The, the first year I was actually out of the band on recruiting duty, somebody came up to the band after the show. was like, where's the guy that used to play the tuba song? they didn't call it the piccolo solo they called it the tuba solo yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: uh that piccolo solo in stars and stripes has become a fourth of july concert euphonium feature staple and in- yeah um, <laughs> community band the keystone band of Raresburg. um if you ever uh run across them i play with them uh back in home and that's that's a fourth of july thing that, that is often asked of the that's uh, cool
3: section
1: the uh, thing that hurts is when a brass quintet does a, a brass quintet arrangement of the whole second suite and the euphonium solos in the trombone that the one hurts
2: yeah,
1: yeah that one hurts a little bit but
2: yeah <laughs> <That's>... yeah <laughs> i'm
1: sure
2: i'm famous sure the picture Sol- is
1: saying the same thing though
2: right famous solos covered by other instruments right
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's this idea for a CD right there, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> a CD that would sell no copies. Well,
2: yeah. j- just to the people who recorded it. Yeah. Yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> Do you know what ended up
1: happening with that uh the California cavalry band?
2: Yeah, they uh they, they kind of reached a peak that had interest and they kind of uh lost some interest. You know, re- reenactors come and go. Um uh, Dave, Dave had his band going. I started my band and uh, there was another group from Long Beach called um, the Brigade Band. And it was was this uh, woman had a trust fund. So she bought a whole bunch of instruments and sack coats and things. And she had uh, she was part of the uh, now it's it's an interesting acronym uh, when you when you take it out. But it was the Great American Yankee Freedom Band in Long Beach. So it was the the Gay Freedom Band, right? So it was the uh, the Gay Pride Band in uh, L.A. County that uh, Mm -hmm. she was that was like her core organization. So she was plucking people out of that group who wanted to be in her reenactor band. Hmm. And she had she had about 15, but she didn't want to lead it. Mm -hmm. So she's reaching out to the reenactors and uh, somebody said, oh, get this guy, Ken. He's starting his own band. So she gets a hold of me and she says, You know, we start talking and she says, I don't know if I even want to do this now. I think I just want to back you. Because yeah. <laughs> she liked the whole idea of, you know, it being if we were doing the Marine Band, we got to play the, the, their literature. We got to play more in a virtuoso setting. You know, mm-hmm. we're not just going to play the flat, B flat, bare bones Yankee Doodle and, you know, Dixie and call it a concert kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, we, we need to be playing opera stuff. So she was really encouraging. She sent her players towards me to do that, and I had uh, eight or nine players. I wound up playing in their their summer concerts up in West Hollywood every once in a while. They'd be short tuba players. Hmm. So I'd nice. go off from from uh, San Diego to play with that band, and uh, they would come down to the San Diego Pride Festival and march the parade in San Diego. So I would play sousaphone in their band because again, always short of tuba players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the best part it was everybody's there to do music. Let's all make this happen and have a great time doing it. You know, and, mm-hmm. and having that history connection. Some of those guys really got into the whole the whole uh, historical concept of it. Nice. Or, you know, it, it, and they said it was opening up uh, something musical to them that they had never even considered with brass band literature and, and uh, bands at that time. So it was a really cool crossover.
1: So already talking about the, the uniqueness of that, that Marine band, uh, the early Marine band that you're doing. Uh, yeah. In terms of the repertoire and obviously the uniforms and stuff, is there anything else that uh, either provided like a unique perspective or maybe a unique challenge choosing to do the Marine Band <laughs> yeah. over something else?
2: Yeah, in a couple ways. Um, well, obviously, okay, the uniforms they're wearing the the, the scarlet double breasted tunic, which is the the red version of the Marine dress blues of that time. You know, the regular Marine uniform was blue anyway, but their dress uniform had uh it was double breasted had two rows of seven buttons so the the marine enlisted dress uniform was the equivalent of what army colonels looked like you know with two rows of seven buttons shoulder fringe that kind of stuff that uh the blue one that, that marine marines wore there's an account some marine walking out of the barracks in washington and in, in the dress uniform and there were army soldiers going soldiers going by and they saluted him because they thought he was a colonel <laughs> hey. You know, and they all they saw was the Rosa buttons and all the fringe and everything else. And then they were hot that they learned this was an enlisted Marine. So, you know, so the band uniform is the red version of that. So it's got to have the, all of that look to it. Um, like today, the Marine Band, uh, when they march and they're in the red, their scarlet tunics, only the drum major wears the ranks. And that, and that was true of that time also. Uh, Scala was the first to be called band leader by uh, actual billet in 1858, when he came over from Italy. So I wanted to model it on the Civil War period, you know, because the first thing everybody goes to is, oh, John Philip Sousa. And I'm like, okay, okay, here's so- a good teaching moment, because his dad was in the band playing trombone at that time. That's you know, right. he, was, he was a kid. He was born in 54, so he would be coming up through that time. And what Scala, what Scala did to put the band on the map is really what sets, you know, kind of tees up what Sousa is going to capitalize on in his time and uh until the marine band the marine band actually designed a program around that and i have the i have the script from that too what was funny was i was developing a similar script of my own at the time that before i saw theirs and i developed my my whole concert routine was was telling that story how the marine band becomes the president's own because of how scala sees that the band needs to be relevant, and that's that's the Marine Corps story all through the the first one hundred 120 years or so. Is the Marine Corps is always on the on the verge of being cut by the by by the uh, bean counters? Mm-hmm. So everything the Marines can do to stay in favor of the, the president or the Congress, you know, they're doing everything they can. And when uh, when the commandant learns that Mrs. Lincoln likes opera, and and she finds out that Scala is an opera musician who hires other opera players from Europe to come over and make this virtuoso band, the commandant's like, okay, everything we can do with this band now and make them something that the president can't do without. You know, and yeah, that's yeah. that's that's kind of the narrative I follow with my concerts, because I'll play uh, a real simple version of, of Red, White, and Blue, and I'll play a real simple version of, of you know, the, the Star Spangled Banner and play, these are the band arrangements of that time, and then I'll pull out uh, I'll pull out like the Grand March to Aida Mm. or some Mm. other Verdi thing, you know, or some some kind of Mozart transcription. And it was Scala who was taking the uh, the opera literature that was popular for that season and transcribing it for the band to play to capitalize on that that uh, popularity. So that became something I wanted to do with the band. But I also had guys in the band who wanted to be reenactors, <laughs> mm. which is what the cavalry band was doing. You know, all these guys were they were going out to be troopers and then they were putting their their, their guns down to go grab horns and go play. Yeah. So, you yeah. um, know, I was kind of misguided in doing that in the first year or two where I, I had my band out as like uh, being stretcher bears. And if they wanted to go fire with somebody in the line, they were doing that. And then looking at it, I, I uh, got the second book in the John Sullivan series called Marines in the Civil War. Book two, chapter seven is about the Marine band. And that became like the Bible for how to do this impression, because it's, it laid out all their duties and they were strictly musicians. So me as an actual Marine musician who had military duties and music duties, I'm sitting back on, oh, so they're really like the president's own today where that's all they're doing is that they're not even doing stretcher duty oh. so i told my guys so we're not going to do stretcher stuff at the reenactments anymore we're, if we're going to be the marine band we're just going to focus on that yeah. so that impression became its own thing but then again i had guys who wanted to be on the field i had uh, my own high school students i was hand from the bands i worked with Uh, i had three marine bands in san diego county with buddies i served with that i could pull to come play in my band you know and they're all sitting around at the reenactment saying boy it'd be fun to go out in the battlefield and i said if if we do we're going out as regular marines then and -hmm. we won't be the band going out because that would be improper and they said fine so we actually wound up creating a marine detachment okay so we had 20 guys with marine uniforms with the white cross belts and muskets and half of us were regular actual marines you know and the others were were these kids and others around us who glommed on and kind of uh inherited our our, our aura about us and the other reenactors wouldn't fight us we go out in the field and they didn't want to fight us because yeah. they were saying half of those guys are actually marines there's no way we're going off against them
1: <laughs> that's funny
2: you know, some- but then but then we'd, we'd get down to play and we were like well, okay we're not those, those guys you saw on the field over there we're we're the marine band you know we're i don't even know who they are over there doing that kind of yeah. thing mm-hmm. and we tried to distance ourselves in that regard to say this is what the marine band impression is different and it really started to draw a line because there was another band forming in southern california and they're called the armory band mm-hmm. and their leader was an army intelligence officer not a musician in the, in the army but he's, he's picking my brain about how I put my band together. He's picking Dave's brain about his cavalry band. And he wanted to put this band together and be this conglomeration thing. And it, it was something that used to happen in drum corps back in the VFW drum corps days where people would, would poach players off of each other. And, uh, this guy, and, I, and I've and i told him this to his face, so this is not something I'm saying behind his back, but he kind of killed the hobby for some people because he he would uh, talk down the other bands, like especially to somebody new. Somebody walks into a reenactment, it's a trumpet player. Hey, I think I want to do this. I want to play in one of the bands. Well, don't go to that cavalry band because they don't, don't go to that Marine band. You want to come to our band, uh-huh. you know? And then somebody would hear us and go, wow, I'd love to play with you guys, but, but I was told I shouldn't. Uh-huh. Well, who told you that? You know, because we and David's band, we never had this policy of you could only play in our band
3: uh-huh.
2: you know and that's that's another crossover with reenactors you know you join you join a reenactor unit you're an f company you know whatever regiment you're in and that's your unit you don't dare go in with the zoo you you're over here with us now you know and uh th- i thought that was something a little unfair to musicians you know because what's the harm in them playing three concerts a day if they got the chops and the time to do it
1: When you're leading the the Marine Band, are you presenting yourself as Scala when you're doing that?
2: Visually, yes. Um, I I got teased. Horribly one time that I didn't sound Italian when I spoke because I would do my own moderation and I, I put on an accent and it was bad and I'm like I'm never doing that again because that was you know not doing that so if I look like them enough that I'm wearing the shako and the beards there okay good or at least I'm making that pre- that representation so yeah. if when I'd introduce myself I wouldn't say I'm Scala I'm saying I'm standing in in the uniform worn by bandmaster Scala and I would just leave it at that.
1: Mm-hmm makes sense
2: yeah awesome so yeah uh, first person impression there was not as important to me as the other work i do (laughs) (laughs) gotcha
0: it sounds like i want to just back up or maybe zoom out a little bit it sounds like um your interest in history your connection to the marine corps and maybe we'll say your desire to embellish a little bit and 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 play a little uh uh you know fancier repertoire we'll (laughs) say um were kind of some reasons that that the the ball started rolling on forming the Antebell marine band were there any other reasons that that really got you excited about it or
2: yeah uh obviously the story of the marine band um that was the, that was the first thing about it you know it uh okay i started playing when i was a kid um until age 18 i had done some drum corps i had done marching band i had done all the pma honor band stuff you know from district band to regional to state and what have you. And that was all great. I get in the Marine Corps and I get fully integrated into the the Marine band story. Now I retire and that comes to a screeching halt. So the two years I was away from reenacting and just playing my horn and and working on getting the, the education side done to be a teacher, I was able to sit back more and just appreciate all of that musicality too. And the more bands I played with, the more I miss being being in the Marine Band, that you know, and, and I can't go back to it. There's you don't go, you don't you don't get to go back. So the only other way you can get around that, if you know, because you play with all you play with the community band, you play with this band or that band, and there might be something fun that reminds you of it, but it, you know, it's not the same. So the only alternative is if you can do your own, you you, you know, start your own, put 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 it together with the image of what you want it to be, as far as how much, how much of this do I want to be like the Marine band? Obviously the performance. Um, I, and I'm speaking about the, the Marine bands within the core, not the president's own, because uh, they're a whole different system how they work. Uh, but the things I didn't want in my Marine band were the, uh, the daily BS things that Marines have to deal with. You know, and everybody who's been in a a military band can relate to that. You have to stand some kind of phone watch, yeah, yeah, which is basically a guard duty kind of thing. You have uh, you have your B billets where you work in the admin section or the repair shop, or you know, uh, you you run the buffer on police call when you're cleaning the building. It's like, well, this is going to be the fun stuff that Marine bands do, and I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to live in a barracks and we're not going to actually have rank to follow and everything else. I'm just going to lead the band, and we're going to have the players. Mm -hmm. So everything that was fun about being in a Marine band is what I wanted part of this. And definitely the the music making part is the most, the most important part. You know, um, Marine bands do marching more than any of the other service bands. That's, that's a given. Um, It's always been one of these things like what, what is the uh, musical idiom that each service is really, really known for? In my time, Navy bands were always respected to be the best jazzers. You know, and people argue that Air Force bands were the best jazzers, but uh, Colonel Gabriel in those days, the Air Force concert band was the, the epitome of what military bands should be outside of the capital bands, of course. You know, uh, the Marines have a lock on it because we're precise. We got the silent drill platoon and the Marine drum and bugle, corps. So every time you think of a marching military band, you would think of the Marines that way. And the Army would want to argue that, no, we have purging zone and we're tight that, you know, so. Uh, all of that put together gives each service it, its kind of a, a personality of what their military bands are like. But there's something different with the Marine Band. And I wanted to make, help people understand in the Civil War era how that would have been different for us. You know, um, Army field bands could have been eight, nine guys who came from town that, you know, like, like, well, what is it? The uh, 26 North Carolina. Mm-hmm. They were a brass band in uh, Salem. Mm-hmm. right they were the town brass band and they go in the army and lee lee takes favor on them and they become his favorite band and it was the eight or nine guys from that town that were that band and they're very good players and they have a really good reputation and they made a niche for themselves that way and i wanted to portray that from the angle of the corps, and uh, that that became satisfying you know if i could if i could have people leave a concert appreciating that 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 story of how the marine band uh, evolves and that was my way to kind of keep my hand on what I had done for twenty years.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: I know you and I
1: uh, have talked on Facebook and and previously about the duality of the the California and the the East Coast marine yeah. band. We can probably get into that in a minute, but before we kind of move on to that, I was wondering, did the the grant. Um, uh reenacting happened while you were in california or is that uh yes. an east coast adoption
2: no that started out there too um <laughs> in fact i was just talking to somebody somebody today asked me about that um 2010 uh, i had my my marine detachment coming out to reenact us we were at the vista gas and steam engine museum reenactment in july of 2010 and friday we everybody comes in to set up their camps and everything else like the circus comes to town right Hmm. So I'm getting my my Marine camp set. Uh, I've got my band stuff all put away and all the, the Marine stuff's getting all put up. And the event coordinator comes over to visit. Now, by then, uh, this is six years after I retired. I had grown my beard, you know, my hair's out of Marine Corps reg at that point. And I'm running around either in the red band uniform or the Marine. I was I was the captain of the Marine Detachment. So I had a blue Marine officer's uniform and people would come up, you know, randomly you, I thought you were General Grant out there. You really look like Grant. You know, and my my students in the band and my buddy Marines are like, you know, you really do look like him. You know, they would say that stuff from time to time. And they thought they were teasing me about it, but he's been my hero. So I'm taking that as a compliment. Like, yeah, OK, cool. So I look like Grant. Who would have thought, right? Uh, 2010, this guy comes up. The, the coordinator comes up like 5 o'clock on a Friday. Oh, good. You're here. Yeah, what's up? Well, our guy that, that plays Grant can't be here this weekend. And I thought my first thought was, Oh, so that means there's an extra half hour for the band to play. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, No, no, no. I, I need I need you to fill in for that guy. I was like, well, what do you want me to do? Talk about the band? He goes, No, I want you to be Grant. <laughs> hey. So like i was just I don't not have getting it. it. Right, I wasn't. <laughs> no, because I was like all band, you know, band in Marine Corps. Okay. And he says, he said, uh, I, don't, I don't have the uniform. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll get a sack coat, and I'll have the stars sewn on it, and you can just wear your blue pants. And I said, I don't have the right hat. I got kepis and I got shakos. He said, don't even bother with the hat. Just come out, and you see how Larry does it. Like, Larry would come out, well, when General Grant was in the Army, and he would talk about Grant dressed like Grant, which reminds me of, like, the bad sixth grade book report where somebody dresses up like Lincoln and talks about yeah. what Lincoln did.
3: You know, yeah,
2: yeah. it always bugged me when I saw this guy, because I'm I'm like a Grant fan. I'm like, why can't you be Grant when you're here? Why do you trip? You know, it bugged me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow, I got a chance to, see, to do this right, <laughs> by, by my opinion. So the next morning, there was a sack coat waiting out on my camp chair. OK, I guess two o'clock I'm going to be Grant. And uh, I walked up. The audience was all seated out there and i said my apologies i was just meeting with general lee to take his surrender and i started talking about lee's surrender as grant and i'd never done it. i'd never done it but like all the everything is just pouring out like the the you know as him and uh the coordinator was watching it there was a scout from history channel there that i didn't know about because they were looking to film a show called lee and grant which ran um memorial day of 2011. And it's the first one I did. So, this guy, the scout, saw me standing up doing this show and he t- asked for my card. He said, I'm scouting from History Channel. He's looking at my card, and all I said was band stuff all over it. And he says, I'll be in touch. And he calls me a week later, says that they're casting for somebody to play General Grant for this thing. Would I be interested? Yeah. And I was teaching at that point. And I said that I would have to take a day off from school. So, I'll, t- I'll get a sick day. And we went up to the Big Sky Ranch where they filmed Little House on the Prairie. And Uh uh, I was there before the entire crew showed up. That's how early I was there in the dark and all. And I watched them all come in, set up the camp and the craft services and the costuming. And I walked into the the makeup trailer and they looked at me, looked me up and down because I was in uniform at that point. I had, you know, the whole thing going And they're looking at a picture of Grant and they're looking at me going, "Wow, we don't need to do anything to him. He's already, he's set. (laughs) And that's really where it started to kick off. Cause after I did that show, uh, the reenactor coordinators were calling me because they wanted to say, we got general grant who was just on the history channel, you know, kind of like as a draw to get people in. And, uh, things got more elaborate you know there was a lee that i could work with Uh, there was a lincoln and lincoln and i could talk about lincoln and grant's meeting and how they coordinated the last year of the war together and lee and i would talk about what we talked about at appomattox you know and then i was on my own a lot of times and uh there were these people who wanted us to do scripted questioning and i hate the scripted question because it's just too to program you know the thrill and even now in what i do the thrill is in not knowing what the questions are and just being able to give them the answer in person and make it believable and that's the whole fun of what i do first person grant you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. there's all these hosts like hey we're going to give out questions i i don't want to know i want them to hit me with what they think they you know stump the general let's see what happens and it just kind of grew from that uh i came out east 2012 my brother was was directing uh, the Windsor Regiment Senior Drum and Bugle Corps in New Jersey. He was short a tuba player, so he asked me to come march the summer season with his drum corps. And I was <clears throat> just finished teaching that for that year, so uh, six rehearsals. I learned the drill. I learned the music in 2012, and I marched the whole summer uh, in in uh, New Jersey, you know, in the in the East Coast drum corps circuit. And uh, during that time, I had a couple of days off where I met Yari. In Gettysburg, we met. We met in town, and we hung out. We actually got to meet and hang out and talk. And he said to me, "Then, can you come back in November and drum major my band?" Wow. And I'm wow. like, "Yeah, that'll be fun." Like, where? He says, "For, for the Remembrance Day parade." And I'm like, you know, "I'm like Elf, like a Christmas gram? What's that?" Because I'm like, <laughs> "A Remembrance Day parade. What's that about?" You know, he wanted a military trained drum major, of course if you're going to if you're going to go through the band leader course at the armed forces school of music you first have to do the drum majors course whether you become a drum major or not you yeah. still have to have yeah. all that training so you already knew i knew mace signals and everything else for a military band so that's what he wanted with his band and i came back to do that so that put me that that puts one foot of me back on the east coast at that point that i came back the next summer and uh, we did the uh Battle of the Bands, where Yari directed all the rebel musicians, and I directed all the uh, union musicians in in my Marine Band uniform during the 150th anniversary thing here in town. So I started looking at, I might start going out there to do more things. And I actually got got, uh, contacted by somebody watching the parade that year, the Remembrance Day parade, because Yari wanted me to come out. And he said, come out and walk in front of the band as Grant. Because i was already starting to do more grant stuff so the Fe- uh, the uh the federal city brass band marched the parade and general grant was walking in front of them the whole time and uh, that got some guy some good local guy here who contacts me after the parade and he suggests that we do a tour in town because he's like where are you from i gotta have you do a tour for me and uh all i could tell him was grant was here in 67 to visit the orphanage so that would be the only connection about that point too. The economy in California really started to, you know, go sour. Gas prices were up. It was hard to hard to get uh, hard to, hard to keep it going. Uh, I was teaching, but uh, things weren't. I was not happy with the political situation in a classroom. And my wife had been a teacher in New Jersey, and she couldn't get a teaching job in California. So we were both looking at at some point we're going to move back east. Now, when I was out here in 2013 for Remembrance Day, she said to me, "See if you can find a job." and that was the same time that this guy here says hey how about doing a tour for me and at that point i'm looking at maybe we're going to move back but what am i and then the band in california is saying well what are we going to do if you move back so he said we can keep it going I'll, i can come back to do events with the band and we made that work for two years wow. and then it just uh, just kind of fell apart because uh the you know you know you're trying to put a band together, even just a quintet. Sometimes it's hard to find four other players, yeah, you know, who good. can agree to be at a certain place at a certain time. And uh, I was trying to herd cats in California from out here, you know, at the same time, I might be out there trying to do the same thing here. I was like, I'm going to have to concentrate on one or the other. And uh, just not being there was going to be the thing. I, I was going to have to let it go out there.
1: Is the california band and the east coast band not currently both going on or was that yeah bizarre? the
2: california band i guess we i guess you say we shuttered it and we boxed it in california because i was also taking the, the coats with me because i had a cache of of the of the red coats and I had them out here for most of the things i was doing and like a week before i'd go to california i was boxing them up and shipping them out ahead of me wow. you know so everything would be out there already because there were uh i think i had three guys out there that bought their own uniforms because uh, I had had a cache of red ones, they were they were from an old, old stock of some community band had, and they were Marine Band coats with different buttons. So I had Marine buttons put on them, and then I found mm-hmm. a vendor in Oregon who was making the the Marine Band frocks. So uh, she had a real nice deal for me. She shut down over COVID, unfortunately. Now I got to find a new vendor, but uh, I wanted all the buttons to be the same. So she said the best way I can guarantee that is if you send me the buttons you want. <laughs> so i started writing to every marine i know hey if you got extra dress blue buttons laying around let me have them you know or when i was in california i could i could go to the dry cleaner on the base and they have this big tote box full of buttons you know that are spare so i could just go through that and take as many as i needed to get the codes yeah.
1: all done up. something you don't realize that you would miss until uh until you don't have access anymore <laughs> oh
2: yeah 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 it was it spoiled me. <laughs>
1: so if you since you had the experience having been in multiple bands and starting the California one and the East Coast one kind of separately and both being successful. Uh, if there were to be a new band to form and they were to ask you for maybe your best piece of advice for our listeners, what what piece of advice do you have to newly forming bands?
2: Don't settle. Don't settle for, oh, it'll be okay or or it'll be enough to get by. Because if you do that, that's always going to be your default. You know, if you want to have a fully staffed band, if you want to, if you think your, if you think your fully staffed trumpet section or cornet section should be four, then don't settle for three or two. Because then you're always going to settle for, for that same thing. Well, if I want, if I want six cornets and I want three alto horns and I want three tenor horns, then always have that. Always insist on that as your minimum don't don't go with less because then it makes it easy to do that and eventually the the people you have in your pool i've got a pool of 65 players that i reach out to every time i want to staff a gig and somehow uh the largest band i can muster is about 16 people just because you know life family everything comes up where somebody wants to play but they just can't make it and you know they're they're in ohio they're in West Virginia and i do have players out of state that come and play and sometimes they're more consistent than the local people, wow. <laughs> but I still I still put the message out to all sixty to see who's going to come. Uh, I've actually had uh, two people now that have played in both bands. Oh, cool! And one one's an active duty marine. He played with me in California. He and his he's stationed at Quantico now, and he's actually played with us up here too. Oh, very cool! That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So it was really cool listening to all the all the things you got to or get got to and get to do, um, as as reenacting as Grant, um, are there one or two like really standout performances with the band that, that jump out in your mind? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, in California, uh, it, I think it's in Redlands is the, the Lincoln shrine. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. Um, where, where you guys are in Pennsylvania or, or where? Uh, we're both in from the DC area. Yeah, I'm from
0: Pennsylvania. uh, I grew up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. My my first band, my first Marine drum major was from Lebanon. Oh, nice.
0: Dennis
2: Wolf. yeah. Um, But in California, in Redlands, is the Lincoln Shrine, and it's this big stone brick building that's like a a Lincoln Museum. And um, there was another band that formed out there. Uh, It was an offshoot of the Armory Band, and they're their own separate little band now as well and they were they were in contact with somebody at the lincoln shrine they wanted to do a tattoo so they wanted the cavalry band their band and they wanted my marine band to be part of it so uh, they wanted us to be the focal point concert band and then have the three other bands march now one of my buddies who was a legit marine band drum major i took yari's page and i had this guy drum major the band for me because they wanted general grant to review the troops with lincoln at this tattoo so I directed the concert and then turned the band over to him for the uh, parade portion. And I had to run back behind the building and change, <laughs> which was normal in California. For the reenactings we were doing when I had the Marine Band, the Marine Detachment, MB and being General Grant, you know, the, 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 the detachment would go out and do the battle. The battle would be over. We'd go back to camp. I'd come out dressed as the band leader to do our afternoon concert. The second battle would come and the Marine Detachment would go out. Some sometime during the battle, I would disappear. So that when the troops came up came by at the end, President Grant could be there, or General Grant could be there with President Lincoln to review. To and there were people know. on the field like, oh, How did you change so quickly? You know? So You're that wasn't a problem. Well, it, it was tricky with having, you know, got to put boots on too. So, you know, and uh, sashes and buttons and everything else that the band's wearing. So I figured it all out, but I think for for the, the band in California, the, the uh, Lincoln, the, the I'm sorry, the, the tattoo at the Lincoln Shrine was was a pretty good one for us. That we had, uh, we got to do everything in that in that uh, that whole day's event. Um, the other big thing we did, the first year I was back here, the first full year was 2015. Um, now, Jim Jim Getty, who was the most well known Lincoln presenter in the country literally lives a block lived a block away from us where we are here in town. Um, He passes away in uh, 2015. And Bill Peck was the best-known Lincoln Impressionist in California about the same time. In fact, he and Getty were friends, actually. Uh, Bill Peck had been a Marine, so he always loved – he'd come into my camp, how's my Marines doing? He goes, I got my Marine band here. So he always played that Lincoln angle really well with the band, and he liked having me be Grant with him too. So he was going to retire at the end of 2014 from being Lincoln. And that was – that was yeah, that was the first year that I was out here that I went back. So my East Coast band played here in Gettysburg at the Rupp House at the beginning of August – Two weeks later, I'm out in California for the reenactment in Huntington Beach, where uh, Bill Peck was going to retire, and he wanted the Marine Band to play his ceremony out there. So we got to give him a proper send-off. So that was another yeah. another uh, high point for that band in California at that time. Because we always did things with Lincoln, where um, I'd introduce him as the 16th president, you know, and we would do. Uh, to the chief when he would come out we would play old 100th which is what the marine band did when he when he was here in gettysburg they played old One Hundredth before he spoke and then he would do his address and then he would turn to me and tell everybody how he's always liked the song dixie and he's always he always wants to hear it perform so he'd say, band leader could you play that for us and we would do that little routine with him uh but that was always a uh, our fun lincoln uh, show that we did uh separate from the band in the east uh, as far as like on your uh sheet here you have a question about that uh high points for this band in the east was playing at grant's tomb in 2017 on grant's birthday um i I had already been out there a couple times booked to speak as grant at grant's tomb for other occasions president's day and some other things and uh the ranger who was out there really wanted a live band and I said well, I got this band we could do this thing and you know and, and there was no official thing for me to do at the uh, national park birthday commemoration for Grant they have a couple speakers who come from West Point they've got uh, a cadet color guard that comes in uh, some of the grant uh, relations get up and speak and uh, they have a bugler and a drummer from the army band station at West Point who do you know taps and a couple other things mm-hmm. so The ranger really liked the idea of having a band sit down and do like a concert before, do a serenade before the ceremony. And then I said, if we're doing that, we're doing all the ceremonial stuff. We're going to march into colors. We're going to play the national anthem. You know, we'll provide somebody to play taps. We'll do, uh, when they do the wreath laying at the front of the tomb, we'll do the proper hymns that can be used. And I, I, uh, Loris Sichel, you know, Loris, he Uh, had, he had the stuff that Sousa had, tra- had written up for the uh, reinterment of Grant. Because when Grant was moved from his original temporary sarcophagus into the mausoleum, the Marine Band did that under Sousa. Yeah. So wow. John gave me all the music that Sousa had done. So we used that in this ceremony for uh, all this replaying and everything else. <laughs> And uh, I told the band, I said, it's not often that we get to be reenactors in this band because we're always just playing concerts and not recreating something legit. But we're really right now where we are, we're we're set up right where the Marine Band was set under John Philip Sousa when when Grant was brought from behind the mausoleum and taken in. And we're playing the exact music that was used at that time. So that was one of those really cool things that uh, got to, you know, worlds were colliding, but in a really good way. On that day, and that was a real highlight for the band to do that.
1: Oh, that's impressive.
2: (laughs) what What year was that? Uh, twenty
1: seventeen. Gotcha. Yeah,
2: very very cool. Being uh, and you know that goes back to one of your questions about what what do I uh, what kind of connection does it keep for me? That was doing exactly what I got to do as a band leader in the Marine Corps. You know we would do ceremonies of that kind of stature all the time and this was something most of my players in the east coast band would never get to do in like a regular community band but here they're in this this quasi military band with a, a trained military band leader doing one of those legit ceremonies that normally only military bands get to do <laughs>
1: Being an early band in Gettysburg, are there any, obviously there's going to be perks that come with that, but I'm curious, are there any uh, negative things that come with being so close or or interconnected with a place
2: like Gettysburg? You know, I think we're interconnected mostly because it's where I live. <laughs> okay. um, National Parks has never asked us to do anything here. Um, when I first was trying to drum up musicians, here and find people i was going out to i was reaching out to local bands and local musicians and there were a couple of these guys older guys who had been in uh you know the local band circuit for a lot of years they were telling me up front you're never going to get this off the ground no one will ever do this and you'll never have a band like that here you gotta you gotta go through our system and you gotta come to our band and play in our band before people start coming out to yours And I wasn't buying it. And I said, that. I said, this, this is a small town. I said, I I, I was in my, because my van in California didn't just play at the reenactments. We were the town band of Ramona, California, no. also, because that was our sponsor. And Ramona in San Diego County is this little town outside the city. And uh, they had the largest freestanding adobe brick building built in 1894, the oldest. No. So we were the town band of this, you know, Western era 1890s town and i somehow managed to put together a full concert band and i had a full uh a full representation of my band that would play things out there and i, I was already confident i could do that here and these local guys are like no it'll never happen here you can't do that and i said well i've been i was in i was one of 13 community bands in san diego so i'm pretty <laughs> confident in this area i'll be able to put something together so like with grant being told he can't do something or being you know He's going to find a way. And that's always been my inspirations with Grant is he finds a way to do stuff when everybody tells him it can't be done. So, like, I'm going to make this work in spite of them. <laughs> yeah, that's no, a, a great so, mentality I mean, to have. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, and that's sometimes and that kind of grit is all, is all that's going to get you there. Because it's going to – your players on the side are going to be seeing that going, yeah, I think I want to do this because this guy's this, – his heart is into this. So this could be something fun. And then when everybody's on that same plane together, you, you've you had gigs like that where you play something. And then when the smoke clears, you're all looking at each other like, that was amazing. We, were, we just all knew intrinsically what was going on. And and uh, finding the players to do that became a, you know kind of a search. But um, tooth and claw, it's been coming together. Whether we play – for something the town recognizes or not um, local guy here named Ben Jones a retired teacher he is in charge of the Gettysburg Brass Band Festival and he has a small a little like five or six piece group he plays with from time to time as well uh, I caught his attention when when I first got here so he invited us to be part of the brass band festival because i wanted to go out to the seminary and play you know like this will be great we'll be on that stage he says oh no 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 he goes because you play out there for that i won't be able to have you back for like maybe once every three years because he has these rotations he does of all the bands that are featured so okay Mm -hmm. so what are we going to do and he says friday night of the festival there's five or six locations in town where we have different bands play like from five o'clock to six at this at this one museum from six to seven at the visitor center from seven to eight at this place so we became one of those bands that every year on friday we're one of the bands that plays and uh when the other band and we're the last one so when the other bands finish they're running over to watch the next band and when they all finish they run and watch they come over and watch us because we're getting ready to play the concert and there's like 18 people and I, I turn yeah. around after the first tune, and there's 45 or 50 people standing there. It's like, what just happened? And all these other band people showed up. So this has been yeah. going since 2015, where we've been that Friday night band. So that's that's our one regular local performance a year during the Brass Band yeah. Festival. And we were playing on the Rupp House porch, but um, the Rupp House closed for a while, so there was nothing nothing able to do there. And uh, Mr. G's ice cream shop is across. I'm doing all these plugs for these people in town. Mr. G's ice cream shop is across the street from my house. And uh, Mike, who's the, the owner, I went over to see him and said, Hey, we got this band, and uh, we need a place to play for the Brass Band Festival. Oh yeah, you wanna play up? I said, I wanted to play on his upper porch and he was worried about the weight of everybody being up there because it's an old building. So we wind up yeah. playing on his front patio that's right on Baltimore street, directly across from the Farnsworth house. Wow. And we just wow. kind of move all the chairs out. We put our we put our arc out and we do our concert there every year for the Brass Band Festival, eight to nine o'clock on that Friday. Wow. And wow. what's been fun because it's on Baltimore street is pointing out during the show, we we are mere feet away from where the actual marine band marched through town with lincoln november 19th you know and i'm right there on the street showing them um last year with everything being closed like it was and all these you know everything was collapsing in on gigs and how hard it was just to get players together um i said to my players at a certain point if we play on my porch nobody can tell us no because <laughs> our porch uh, my porch is right on baltimore street you know, we're, I can I can throw a cigar off my front porch and in the middle of the street. That's how close I am. So everybody's sick of sitting at home playing by themselves. And they said, can we get together? I said, yeah, we if you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. So I, I called my Marine Band friends. I, I uh, reached out to West Point and asked, how are you setting up to perform? This was in 2020, you know. Mm-hmm. So the Marine Band said, well, we're sitting distance, but we're all sitting together. The, the West Point Band said we're sitting distance and we have plexiglass between all the players, but we're still able to play. <laughs> okay. So I talked to my landlord who has the other half of the building's porch, and I said, can we use your side of the porch? And he said, are you kidding me? That'd be great to have a band playing out front. Yeah, do it. So my 12 players who agreed to play, I said, we're going to set you up you can uh, you want to sit six feet from each other i got two porches to spread you out i'll put a, a podium out on the sidewalk and i'll direct you from the sidewalk and we'll just play there on the night that we would normally play across the street at mr g's because by then this is first week of june by then people are in town walking the streets and visiting and wanting something to do yeah. so yeah. we did that three times last year nice. uh brass band festival uh yeah three times a Memorial Day, we played before the parade. And uh we did a Marine Corps birthday concert in, in November, just impromptu on the street. Like we had everybody's dress, we're in our uniforms, and guests were, you know, people were walking by. I put a sandwich board out telling them what time the concert was going to start. I had a whole narration about what the concert would be that I I I delivered that between selections. so we've been playing in town without anybody's help. And I, I, can't think how much better it would be if we had help to play.
1: Prime real estate, right there, is the Marine Antebellum Marine Band currently using uh, period instruments. I remember you said years years ago that uh, you know it was kind of a work in progress and stuff. But where where are you kind of at now with the this East Coast group?
2: I'm not any further along because I, I my, I'm thinking for my own critical self that I'm not been aggressive enough about getting that done. Uh, obviously, it's going to take money going to take somebody who has the money to fund it then it's going to take the time to build the instruments because you can't just go to the period instrument shop and you know go ahead get a set go pick you up a set of sax horns and you're all set you know yeah, exactly. um yeah. even rep i think the replica horns are more expensive than the originals in a lot of cases because yeah, i've seen yeah, i've seen yeah, a few yeah, of those yeah,
1: yeah. yeah they're all made to order like especially like if you're getting the made new not even secondhand like new reproduction right. horns yeah they're they're pretty pricey.
2: right you know and uh, Mark Elrod's got a fabulous house full of instruments. <laughs> and um, when we've been in touch, he's been he's been helped a lot of times um, Two, maybe two, three Christmas seasons ago. He uh, loaned me an over the shoulder E-flat horn that I had to sit down and woodshed with. So I was comfortable with it. And I've used it a couple of times uh, The the uh, Christmas, the tuba caroling thing they do here in town. I went down I always go in my uniform and take my my tuba with me and it's more visual and I wind up passing cards and trying to you know get people interested in coming to my band by doing that so I one year I had the over the shoulder horn to play the Christmas stuff with so that made it more interesting for me too but that same year I was able to do a a Christmas brass quintet program at a at a senior center and we called it Christmas with the Lincolns and we had everybody in the group had period horns so we did it we did the whole brass quintet thing on period horns of carols of the of that time.
1: Nice. So that was, that was
2: pretty oh. interesting. So that was that's the closest experience I've had on my own, you know, not playing in somebody else's brass band. Yeah. Where it's like, wow, that's what it really should sound like all around me. Yeah. <laughs> my experience as a reenactor, how does that help me lead the band? Um, because I really went fast over how I started making the band work what i learned with reenactors the first couple times i fell in with the second u.s cavalry it was with loner gear you know you'd show up and they'd have a whole you'd put on their whole kit kepi down to your shoes pretty much and they'd give you a weapon to use and then they say the next time you come out buy yourself a kepi to start with and then buy your own shoes and we'll give you this this piece that piece and then every time you come out you get one more piece of the uniform so that eventually by the end of the season, you have your own full kit over that time. So, okay. that And that made sense to me. You know, they had a stash. So I had that same kind of thing going with the band. When people would show up, I had uniforms. that would say, well, everybody wear black pants and a white long sleeve shirt. Cause if the pants don't fit, you're at least in black pants altogether uniform to us in the sky blue that you'll want to like, a, you want a long sleeve shirt because that wool is going to get itchy. You know? <laughs> so and and the people that stay they look at it like yeah i think i want to have the blue pants like i'm supposed to have them you know and they would eventually buy their own because they get tired of borrowing you know and the thing with borrowing you only have certain amounts of things and it always works out that the smallest guy goes for the biggest coat because he's got a lot of room in it and he thinks that's better (laughs) you know and then the biggest guy is fat man in a little coat and can't even button it yeah it's like no these are supposed to be form fitting so little guy you should be in the little coat so big guy can wear it and then i can have both people dressed (laughs)
1: there you go yeah that that's a a problem that we're not a problem it's a unique situation for us to be in as uh the band that i run over at george mason university we have all university owned uniforms and instruments and music and stuff and it it kind of functions like a like a high school or college marching band, in terms of the uniforms and needing to have yeah. enough to fit everybody, and right,
2: uh, yeah, and that's 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 what the Drum and Bugle course do because you know no nobody in Santa Clara Vanguard has their own uniform that they went and bought that they carry around on a on a hanger behind them. Very true, you know, and that's that's always been something I've wanted to do with my setup is I wanted to have like a, a trailer that would have the uniforms all in rows, you know, I'd, I could have a place to store the instruments that. Hopefully people would buy their own period instruments. Because that's that is a little bit of a sticky point for some of my players. They don't want to pick up an E flat horn. Mm. Because they're like, you know, like it's gonna poison them somehow if they play. Well, I'm used to playing my C trumpet. Well, play an E flat cornet just for my gig, you know. Why wouldn't you want to know how to play that anyway? Very true. (laughs)
0: Ken, this has been, this has been great. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, really and you uh, uh, <laughs> um, so we, we really thank you for your time on a, we're recording this on a Friday evening here. So we really thank you for your time. Where can people go if they want to find out more uh, about what you do or, or more about the band?
2: All right. Uh, for the band, we have uh, a Facebook page, Antebellum Marine Band. Nobody asked me why I picked that name, but uh um, what what it was for me this uh, the second U.S. cavalry band would be where the S's are alphabetically. Ah. This other band was called the Armory Band, so it was A.R. And I'm looking at that like, well, Antebellum comes before that alphabetically, so we'll be listed first, <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> even though we're not truly, you know, we're if we're playing the band of the Civil War, we're we're actually in the Bellum and not pre, you know, and we're not Antebellum. But uh, we still cover that period because Scala became leader in 58. So Antebellum Marine Band is the name of the Facebook page. And then the email address for the band is AMB2015. Because that's when I moved moved the band to the east. So it's, you know, uh, AMBAND is for Antebellum Marine Band. AMBAND2015 at gmail.com. And... Uh, i I hinted at it earlier that we have players who come from different states we don't really rehearse much and that's always fun to tell the audience at the end of the concert (laughs) and we'll say i have players come from this state that state and everywhere and we really don't have a chance to rehearse so we just sight read this whole program with you today right here (laughs) and the most i can do is send parts out to people um maybe give them a few indicators about a real particular about note length you know i've always been an advocate for playing through the uh, the bar line playing beat four all the way to the end and not trying to cheat it with a breath at every bar line. And uh, uh, so I, I, always make little, little notes like that in the music, in the parts when I send them out to people about full value. If, if something is, is indicated as staccato, there's a reason for it. Or if it's indicated as legato, that means it's gotta be legato because we're going for that effect of how the Marine band would perform it, not just getting through the tune. So uh, a lot of times if people pay attention to that stuff, when they get there within a couple minutes, Everybody's going. Oh, you weren't kidding. Oh, that. Okay, now you know, and it all kind of helps. Because if I can't rehearse, I've got to have some other way to get across what our style is as a band. Yeah. So I try. Yeah. So it's important people play. Uh, everything that I've scored for the band is uh, is in PDF form, so it's easy to send out to people that don't have to have a special music program. If players are curious about that, we don't have any recordings, at least that I know of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, uh, no secret tape recordings of those porch concerts that you know. Of.
2: Well, I'm sure somebody's got something somewhere, um, you know. And I'm I'm reticent to put anything like that out because you know the purists are going to jump on you. Like, how come you using modern horns? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I and okay, you you got me. Um, I'm using modern horns because that's all I have right now, and that's all the people who are playing have. And if I if I went with who only has period horns, there would be none of us out here so yeah, exactly. um, that's not necessarily a deal breaker if, somebody, if somebody's interested in being part of the band uh, the biggest thing is you gotta be able to read you know and that kind of that kind of shadows what the actual Marine Band talks about and uh, Uh, People who buy into my band buy into that philosophy that we are representing that band of that time. So our impression, if we're going to do an impression of the Marine Band, is we have to come across credibly as a better band than, than your regular five guys in the Army that are marching along behind a regiment somewhere kind of thing. And it's no slight on those five guys, but you know, if I'm going to do an impression of General Grant, I better bloody well look like him. You know what I mean? So if you're going to be George Meade, you better you better not have uh, mutton chops. If you want to be Burnside, you better not show up with a clean, shaven face. You know what I mean? So if you're going to be the Marine band when you play, it better be. Wow. Yeah, that would be a Marine band. They sound really good. So, you know, obviously you want the best players, but you got to buy into that mindset to uh, prepare yourself for that, too. And that's that's kind of hard to find sometimes. You know, because uh, everybody has to, their their level that they're willing to commit to. And if it doesn't meet, then it doesn't meet. But that's the task.
1: All right. Well, thanks again so much. It was a lot of fun.
2: Sure. Thanks there for having are. me.
1: Thank you again so much to Ken Surface for coming on to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. It was really interesting hearing how uh, Ken was able to start a band over in California and the challenges and the unique circumstance he was in with trying to relocate that to the East Coast and on top of all that, being able to apply his reenacting chops to, to the early American brass band scene. So very interesting interview, Ken. Thank you very much for your time, and we hope you all enjoy it.
0: Yeah, great. Great to have him on and, and happy he made the time to speak with us. Uh, As you said at the top, if you like what you're hearing, uh, you can support us on all social media platforms as well as YouTube. We also have a Patreon page and a Teespring store. So you can feel free to check all that out. Uh, As always, there are show notes for this episode on our website. That's eabbpodcast.com. A bunch of other resources up there. If you want to get in touch with us, you can shoot us a message on any social media platform or email if you like that. Uh, Our email address is eabb.podcast at gmail.com our featured album for this episode is actually a video of a concert given at the library of congress by the president's own united states marine band Uh, they did a program there uh, back in 2015 all about music in the lincoln white house so if that's something you're interested in um, you can go check that out they go through music of the time that would have been heard by lincoln in the white house played by the president's own united states marine band it's a great about an hour and a half long uh great program very educational some good music in there as well so we will have that linked um in our show notes page and in the description uh if you're listening to this on your phone uh in the description of the podcast or if you're on youtube there will be a link down there too you could also just search on uh youtube music in the lincoln white house colon u.s marine band and that'll pull it right up Uh, so we hope you'll go check that out and enjoy that great concert Music in this episode comes from the President's Own United States Marine Band and
1: the 8th GM Regiment Band. Thank you very much, and we'll see you in the next episode.